stone and cover to cover and stone's throw. It's three o'clock. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is March the 17th, 2009, which means that it's St. Patrick's Day, but I think I'll get around to that Celtic catastrophe a little later. (laughs) I have something else in mind today, so many things... So many things, people. Um, Ah, yes, a million announcements. What is the most important thing to say, to talk about? What is the the grief, the, you know, the um, tragedy du jour, or what is the the joy of the moment, you know? All I hear, every time I listen on the bus, you know, All I hear is that the economy's in the toilet and peace plans are in trouble and the planet is threatened and there's sociological tsunamis and global conflicts and biological meltdowns and I don't know, last night I made a little pile of things, John Updike's Updike's last poems, the ones that he wrote just before he died in January this year. And then there's all that violence in Ireland. And then there's all that violence everywhere. And the hunger and the despair. And then there's Michelle Obama's beautiful Amazon arms. And there's Barack's hair turning gray. Oh, so quickly. (laughs) Poor guy. Hmm, gray hair on our president. Uh, Then I thought, When are their little girls, Barack and Michelle's little girls, you know, Malia and Sasha, when are they going to get their dog? That's my effort of the day. I wrote a postcard to the White House. That dog was promised for Easter. We must keep our eyes on the prize. That's it, the dog. St. Patrick's Day, yes, St. Patrick's Day, Jesus. Judas Priest, I shudder when I hear all that Celtic music commencing. uh, Oh, waves of memory going back to childhood. My Irish father, all those nights when, having a drop taken, he would lurch into his maudlin tales of my mother's faithlessness. Ah, the sight of him singing, you know, in the buff by the sea there. Singing, I will take you home again, Kathleen. (laughs) We had wild men back in the day. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. 
They tell me the pagans had more fun. I'm not sure about that. They were all darling boys, darling boys, Ireland forever. Uh, I don't know. I, I recommend the movie The Field, Richard Harris in The Field. That's my celebration for uh, St. Patrick's Day. You can probably get it on video. It's all about uh, this old Irishman, and in the end, he's battling the sea itself. <laughs> the Irish, yes, they use words to express everything except their true feelings. Which brings me to, yes, true feelings. I want to read you a poem, a little poem today, and see, because it is, of course, International Women's Month, and I wonder if you will recognize uh, the poet. It is a, a woman, yes, but that's all I'll tell you. The date on the poem is sometime between 1992 in 1995, and uh, I just thought I'd see if you recognize it. Uh, the poem goes like this. Uh, no one who is beautiful fits. That's why angels sleep in the watery heavens to protect themselves from demons. Sooner or later, trust pierces them and faith and they descend like spiraling leaves to this sad hollow destitute earth there were no gods to hold us up there with thick brown fingers and our hands are too fragile to grasp their arms my god this is a sick parallel to heaven populated by angel husks. The ghosts and wraiths use their rotten arms to drag the sparkling angels. We drag each other because we are afraid to go down alone. There is no such thing as bravery. It is just the ability to pretend the longest. How long have I been pretending? Soon that misty, damp paradise will be empty, and the carcasses of naive cherubs will choke this supple earth. We are all hollow death. Filled with fragrant, hedonistic pleasure, we are soldier zombies. We are nothing but stagnant, liquid animals. We are goblins of selfishness. So laugh when you say you are out of place among all of these bickering goblins. It only means you are an angel. That poem was written by uh, Rachel Corey. Rachel Corey died uh, six years ago, yesterday, 16 March 2003. Rachel is one of the uh, saints of our time, 
she's also a writer of uh, major proportions. The difficulty, of course, with someone like her, she died so young, is that um, she's remembered more for her death. Uh, she was killed by the Israeli military on March 16th in Rafah in Gaza. And as you know, uh, she's struck by a bulldozer. Uh, let me read you just a little bit. I have in front of me two works. Um, the poem that I read you is in her uh, journals, the journals of Rachel Corey. The title is Let Me Stand Alone. I recommend it. I'm sure you can find it in the bookstore. I have a hardback, Let Me Stand Alone. But I also have this wonderful short play taken from her writings. It's edited by Alan Rickman. You remember Alan Rickman, the British actor, was done at the Royal Court. The little play is My Name is Rachel Corey. By little, I mean that it is basically a one-woman show. Uh, it's an amazing work. I... Uh, I don't know if there, I think there is a tape somewhere, uh, but I think it's only excerpts. In any case, let me read you a passage uh, at this point in her life, Rachel is in Gaza, and uh, in her journal, uh, this is an excerpt from the play, she writes, had a dream about falling, falling to my death off of something dusty and smooth, crumbling like the cliffs in Utah, but I kept holding on, and when each new foothold or handle of rock broke, I reached out as I fell and grabbed a new one. I didn't have time to think about anything, just react, as if I were playing an adrenaline-filled video game, and I, I heard... I can't die. I can't die again and again in my head. Seems somehow positive compared to the dreams I used to have of tumbling and thinking, this is it. I'm going to die. Let me go all the way back to a date in March 1993 in her journals. She's a uh, very young woman here, a very young girl. She writes, oh, let's see. Yes, she's just a kid. She writes, when I am an old woman, I will stop trying to look beautiful. I will quit wearing makeup and buying uncomfortable clothes because they look good. Maybe I will take up nudism. I will dance and play basketball and replenish my stock of Crayolas. I will write stories and they will be good because by that time I will have real stories to tell and I won't be just a sack of words. When I am an old woman, I will leave my clothes on the floor if I wear any, and make someone else do the laundry. I will put 
plants everywhere and plant flowers in my yard. I will take up karate and learn how to flamingo dance. I will never, ever, ever cook. I will race my grandchildren and beat them. And I will actually run when we play baseball. I will get a cow. Put it in my backyard. I will get a motorcycle. And some leather pants. That was written in March of 1993. When Rachel Corey was just a young girl. Uh, <laughs> this is an amazing work. This uh this journal. I can't believe that all of the early entries were written by this uh, very young girl. Uh, this is May 1993. Rachel Corey writes, Death smells like homemade applesauce as it cooks on the stove. It is not the strangling scent of illness. It is not fear. It is freedom. Death is warmth as it melts into refreshing coldness. Death has friendly hands that gently guide you. They are calm. They do not push. Death is a long walk through a mountain meadow. And somehow your steps seem to carry you down through the mountains and into the gentle swells of ocean. As carelessly as before, you walk down into the depths of the water. The fins of fish... Stroke your face. Gosh. <laughs> oh, dear. There's so many wonderful stories here. Her trip to Russia when she was very young seems to have been, what is it, her first consciousness raising. Uh, here's a poem written back in 1990. She wrote, These are the hollow souls, crusts of helpless figures. The crumbs that we toss to the gulls. Skins and round watery eyes, horribly open, lucid and knowing. How can the eyes of the ignorant be so wise? These are the forgotten ones. They are lost in the invisible world of lists. Here are our ugly siblings, the ones who stand behind us and smile hungrily. These are the ones we don't even glance at. We fix our eyes just over their shoulders. Bring on their hungry smiles. We battle them with loose change, trying to send them back out of our minds. We love them when they are far away and we are snug and warm. But when we are close to us and we can smell their rotting breath and look deep through sunken eyes... Into the eddying minds we choke with fear and distaste and pull away. Here are the homeless and also the nameless. Here are the people whom we politely ignore. We are brutally well behaved. Even when they speak to us, call to us, beseech us, we do not answer or call back. These are our sisters and brothers, and that is what terrifies us. They are us. I'm looking at her play again here, and that is basically the message of the little the play. The last scene uh, is when she talks about the children and the future. Uh, 
And she... She says, uh, what they do in the scene, they, they use a video of Rachel Corey at the age of 10. They put that on the screen on the stage, yes. Uh, it's a record of her fifth grade, uh, yes, a press conference in the fifth grade at her school. There, <laughs> there's a conference on world hunger. And here's little Rachel Corey, age 10. And here's what she says. She says, I'm here for other children. I'm here because I care. I'm here because 40,000 people die each day from hunger because those people are mostly children. And uh, this goes on. Yes, she says, my dream is to stop hunger by the year 2000 to give the poor a chance. And then, yes, she says, if we all help and work together, uh, the light will grow and burn free with the potential of tomorrow. Gosh, gosh, gosh. Uh, I'm trying to find the uh, passage, I guess, I, I need to read to you for those of you who have not had a, a chance to uh, uh, study this event. Uh, there's a TV set in the play. They use a TV set recording a transcript uh, of an eyewitness account by a journalist called Tom Dale so that everybody in the audience will know what happened to Rachel Corey there in Gaza. Um, and, you know, like... Uh, Tristan today, like the other, uh, the young man who's in critical condition in Tel Aviv today, uh, uh, Rachel was a martyr when she was killed on March 16th, 2003. And here's a description of the eyewitness account. Yes, uh, Rachel walked to place herself in between the Palestinian home and the bulldozer. As the bulldozer turned towards them, it had about 20 meters, uh, 10 seconds clear time directly with her in its view to see where she was. The bulldozer continued toward her at some pace with a mound of earth building up in front of it. As the mound of earth reached Rachel, she obviously felt that in order to keep her balance, to keep her footing, she had to climb onto this mound of earth to prevent being overwhelmed by it. When she did this, it put her head and shoulders clearly above the top of the bulldozer blade and therefore clearly in the view of the driver, the bulldozer driver. So he knew absolutely that she was there. She falls down the mound of earth and out of sight of the driver. So he was essentially pushing her forward down the mound of earth. When she starts to slide, uh, it is then that you see both of her feet disappear. The driver simply continued until Rachel was, or the place where she had been, was directly beneath the cockpit of the bulldozer. Uh, the driver waited a few seconds and then withdrew, leaving his scoop on the ground. Uh, 
Only later, when it was uh, much clearer of her body, did it raise its scoop. I ran for an ambulance. She was gasping and her face was covered in blood from a gash cutting her face from lip to cheek. She was showing signs of brain hemorrhaging. She died in the ambulance a few minutes later. Okay, that is the end of the play. Um, and there are any number of pages here that I had marked to read to you, mostly the, what I would call the, the wonderful, uh, what is it, hands-on reality of Rachel's connection with the um, family, the people. Uh, in Palestine, she says that uh, I still have very few words to describe what I see. Um, I don't know if many of the children here have ever existed without tank shell holes in their walls. I think even the smallest of these children understand that life is not like this everywhere. They love to get me to practice my limited Arabic. Today I tried to learn to say, Bush is a tool. But I don't think it translated quite right. But anyway, there are eight-year-olds here more aware of the workings of the global power structure than I was just a few years ago, at least as regards Israel. Nothing could have prepared me for the reality of the situation here. You just can't imagine it unless you see it. And even then, your experience is not at all the reality. What with the difficulties the Israeli army would face uh, if they shot an unarmed U.S. citizen, the fact that I have money to buy water when the army destroys wells, and of course... The fact that I have the option of leaving and I am allowed to see the ocean. If I feel outrage at entering briefly into the world in which these children exist, I wonder how it would be for them to arrive in my world. I mean, once you have seen the ocean and lived in a silent place where water is taken for granted, and not stolen in the night by bulldozers. Spent an evening when you didn't wonder if the walls of your home might suddenly fall inward. Aren't surrounded by towers, tanks, and now a giant metal wall. I wonder if you can forgive the world for all the years spent existing, just existing, in resistance to the constant attempt to erase you from your home. That is something I wonder about these children. I wonder what would happen if they really knew. I'm in Rafa, a city of 140,000 people, 60% of whom are refugees. Many twice or three times over, currently the Israeli army is building a 12-meter-high wall between Rafa and the border. 602 homes have been completely bulldozed, and the number partially destroyed is greater. Today, as I walked on top of the rubble, Egyptian soldiers called to me from the other side of the border. 
go, go away, they said, because a tank was coming, then waving, and, uh, oh, what's your name? Something disturbing about their friendly curiosity. To some degree, we are all kids curious about other kids. Egyptian kids shouting at strange women wandering into the path of tanks. Palestinian kids shot from the tanks when they peek out from behind walls to see what's going on. International kids standing in front of tanks with banners. Israeli kids in the tanks occasionally shouting, occasionally waving. Many forced to be here, many just aggressive, anonymously shooting into the houses as we wander away. She goes on to talk talk about how difficult it is just to get the laundry done and uh, about the uh, watching the media there, uh, how different it is than watching it here. Uh, she says, uh, oh, yes, she says, I knew a few years ago what the um, unbearable likeness of being was. She's talking about the story, yes. She said, I knew it before I read the book. The lightness between life and death. There are no dimensions at all. There are no rulers, no markers. It's just a shrug. The difference between Hitler and my mother... The difference between Whitney Houston and a Russian mother watching her son fall through the sidewalk and boil to death. There are no rules. There is no fairness. There are no guarantees, no warranties on anything. It is all just a shrug. The difference between ecstasy and misery is just a shrug. And with that enormous shrug there, the shrug between being and not being, how could I be a poet? How could I believe in a truth? And I knew back then that the shrug would happen at the end of my life. I knew. And I thought, so who cares? If my whole life is going to amount to one shrug and a shake of the head, who cares if it comes in 80 years or at 8 p.m.? Who cares? Now, I know who cares. I know if I die at 11.15 or in 97 years, I know, and I know it is me. That's my job. It's the end of that section of the play. My name is Rachel Corey, performed at the Royal Court, edited by Ellen Rickman, taken from the journals of Rachel Corey. Oh, an absolutely amazing piece of art that has come out of the life of this very young woman who died six years ago on the 16th of March, 2003. 
and I see that I have taken the entire half hour. Uh, I wanted to tell you about a show on Thursday, March the 19th at the Hillside Club, Cedar Street in Berkeley. Check it out. Elaine Showalter, she's written a book called A Jury of Her Peers. Jermaine Greer will be at the Hillside Club on Tuesday, March the 31st. Check your local paper for these readings. Uh, Jermaine Greer coming to town and Elaine Showalter. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air again next Tuesday at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Drop the shadow. This is Erica Badu, and you're listening to KPFA 94.1. It's the People's Station. Y'all, we in the Bay Area. Yo soy Silvia Ledesma. Yo soy Julieta Kuzmi. Aquí con la Raza Chronicles, Crónicas del Raza, bringing you noticias en español and in English. Música, poesía. Soy Nina Serrano, La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, every Tuesday, 7 to 8. My name is Esther Mania, La Raza Chronicles, here at KPFA 94.1 FM. Yo soy Vanessa Bohm, aquí con La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, every Tuesday, 7 to 8 p.m., bringing you noticias de la raza community. Yo soy Nicté, Crónicas de la Raza, todos los martes de 7 a 8 p.m. This is Maya. Aquí con la Raza Crónicas, every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m., worldwide at kpfa.org.